the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, on behalf Demo of Detroit, the hey, we want to present these buffs. To our governor, Big Grits. Throw the buffs on her face, cause that's Big Grits. We ain't even about the stretch. We got Big Grits. You can find her in the press. Under Big Grits. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Grits. Throw the buffs on her face, cause that's Big Grits. We ain't even about the stretch. We got Big Grits. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Grits. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Grits. Come on. Big Grits in this bitch playing no roles. Excuse all the cussing, that's just how I get my flow on. If you want to leave the state, you can stay gone. But right now, Big Grits said stay home. All that protesting was irrelevant. Big Grits ain't trying to hear y'all or the president. How we gonna take orders from a non-resident? Talking about it safe, but he ain't coming with the evidence. Big Grits got him shook now. When it's all over, you invited to the cookout. When it's all over, you deserve to get took out. Big Grits with the bucks on on the lookout. Uh. And she doing it for Michigan, so when she hit the stand, everybody should be listening. She on that pair of bucks with the ice and them glistening. On behalf of the whole Detroit mission. Throw them bucks on her face, cause that's Big Grits. We ain't even about to stress. We got Big Grits. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Grits. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Grits. Throw the buffs on her face. Cause that's Big Grits. 
We ain't even about to stretch. We got Big Greg. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Greg. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Greg. Big Greg. to get to the moon. Cause I'm a woman. W-O-M-A-N. I'll say it again. Now I can stretch a greenback dollar bill from here to kingdom come. Turn the stills, pay my bills, and still end up with some. I got a $20 gold piece to prove what I just said. Make a dress out of a feed bag and I can make a man out of jail. Cause I'm a woman. W-O-M-A-N. I'll say it again. Cause I'm a woman. W-O-M-A-N. And that's all. Eat your heart out, Jaja. <laughs> Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're celebrating Schlocktober with Tom Sumner. 
Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and my next guest is the uh, author of um, a new book that's uh, considered far from your average Western called Gone to Dallas. And it's, uh, well, I'll, I'll just tell you, it's um, by Lori Moore Moore. That's right, two Moores. And... Um, She's joining me now by phone. Lori, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Tom. I'm I'm delighted to be with you this morning. I don't know how I I don't know which I'm more curious about. I guess I'll start with more and more. How did, <laughs> how did you end up becoming Lori Moore Dash Moore? Well, I recognize that it's kind of ridiculous, uh, but here's what happened. I think there's a good reason. Uh, when I first came into business years and years ago, there was another Laurie Moore in my industry. And so I knew it was going to be confusing, and I decided I would add my maiden name to my married name and hyphenate it. Well, my maiden name was Moore, my married name <laughs> is Moore, and hence I became Laurie Moore Moore. It's <laughs> almost like Laurie Moore Squared. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, it's one of the smartest things I ever did because everybody does what you did. They ask about it, and then they remember it. Uh, so it's been a fabulous, uh, although silly, verbal hook. Well, I, I, I think it's great, and it leads nicely into my next question. How did you go from being the um, luxury real estate diva in Chicago to writing novels and doing podcasts based on Texas and Texas history. Well, you didn't um, travel by Conestoga wagon, did you? <laughs> no, thank heavens. Uh, <laughs> uh, as a, I'm a fifth generation Texan, and I've always had a passion for Texas history and and a real curiosity about how early Texans lived and. For a couple of decades during my business career, I've had a story rattling around in my head, and after I retired, I decided, well, it's time to let the story out. And my previous career uh, was largely in the real estate industry in one way or another. Uh, I, I founded an organization called the Institute for Luxury Home Marketing, and it is an international training organization for real estate agents that work in the luxury home market. And that business was based in Dallas, but we trained agents all over the U.S. and Canada and even did some international training. Uh, and because the company did a tremendous amount of research on the luxury market, uh, the company became known as sort of the expert in the industry. And I did a whole lot of interviews. And for some reason, the Chicago newspaper. Uh, would call me frequently to talk about what was going on nationally in the luxury market. And so they're the ones that gave me the moniker of uh, the luxury real estate diva, which, uh, <laughs> you know, is almost as silly as Larry Moore Moore. <laughs> so well, when I retired, I retired, I decided I was going to, you know, write that book <laughs> that was rattling around in my head. And then did you actually move to Texas or do you just 
live in Chicago and write about Texas? Uh, no, I've, I've lived uh, in Texas uh, pretty much, well, uh, we spent some time on the East Coast, my husband and I, years ago, but we've been in, in Dallas since uh, uh, 1981. But, you know, as I say, Chicago, the Chicago paper, the L.A. Times, the Washington Post uh, would call uh, our Institute for Luxury Home Marketing to talk about what was happening because we did the research. We did kind of a, a Schiller report, if you're familiar with that real estate report, but we did it for luxury. And so they would quote me in, in an article. That's what they began to call me. <laughs> now, the characters in your book, Gone to Dallas, mm-hmm. are, are living far from luxury. Oh, my. Yes, they are. <laughs> uh, they truly are. Uh, in fact, my, my main character, uh, Sarah Darnell, uh, arrives in Dallas in 1856. And what she finds is a tiny log cabin village on the Trinity River. And, uh, you know, basic hardly describes it. So uh, definitely, definitely not luxury. And the wagon train trip was not exactly, uh, uh, you know, a, a biking cruise either. It, uh, uh, it was, if you can imagine, traveling uh, in a wagon train from Memphis, Tennessee to Dallas, Texas, uh, along the Trail of Tears that the Indians took through Arkansas and then then through Indian uh, territory uh, into to uh, Texas across the Red River. It was uh, a pretty pretty uh, pretty rugged journey. Is this your first book? It's my first fiction book, Tom. Uh, I, I wrote uh, uh, a business book. Uh, again, uh, focused on residential real estate and, and luxury. Uh, it was called Rich Buyer, Rich Seller, The Real Estate Agent's Guide to Marketing Luxury Homes. And uh, that came out in, let's see, I guess it would be 2002, and it's in its third edition now uh, in a digital edition, uh, edition uh, that's available on the Institute for Luxury Home Marketing's website, and I think... Uh, uh, a few other places as well. How much research did you have to do to write this book, Gone to Dallas? More than I needed. Uh, I did a tremendous amount of research and discovered that I am a research junkie. Uh, and that's <laughs> why I say I did more than I needed. Uh, it, it, uh, it's terrible. I'm addicted to it. Uh, I go you know, looking for something, and I'd find another little bit of information that had no relationship whatsoever to the book, uh, and read it, and then jump to another one, and jump to another one. So that's how the podcast came about. Uh, I found some fascinating bits of history, uh, and I took Texas history all through school, uh, but things that I had never heard. Uh, there's... Uh, there's something called uh, uh, the Crash at Crush, which is one of my favorite uh, little gems of history, totally unrelated to the book, and it ended up in the podcast. So uh, the podcast was born uh, so that I could justify doing all this random research that I find I like to do. More Texas history with author Lori Moore Moore.
straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place 
with magical charms indoors 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 take it away hi this is deb cherry genesee county treasurer and you're listening to the tom sumner radio show more texas history with author Lori moore moore straight ahead do you think of this book as as historical fiction are there enough uh historical events and markers that that people might actually learn something about texas history while reading this novel yes uh, i hope so and, and i think so uh, the the story it's really two stories in one uh, it's the story of sarah this is the fictional story and she's a feisty 19 year old who uh, comes to Dallas as a widow, thanks to a twist of fate during the wagon train, and she's determined to open a general store. Uh, and the odds are against her. She faces threats and vandalism and loneliness, and she's even gunshot at one point. And she has to demonstrate the strength and the resourcefulness necessary to open her general store, which is her dream. And she has to survive and thrive uh and failure means for her being destitute in Dallas. So that's the fictional story. And yet it is told in the context of Dallas and Texas at the time. So it is uh, packed with, with true events that happened, uh, what goes on leading up to the Civil War, which begins in, in uh, 1861. And one of the things that I've done is uh, I, I sent it out uh, in in an advanced copy to historians and people like the former CEO of the Alamo and uh, the uh, the woman who is the director of the the Stockyards Museum in Fort Worth and Texas historians and so on, and they all came back and said, uh, this is a, you know, a, and I'm paraphrasing here, this is a tremendous look at Texas history. And, uh, you know, one review said, if history could be made this interesting in school, we would have all been history majors. It, uh, uh, and that was my goal, because as I said, I'm absolutely passionate about Texas history. And I think we all need to understand our roots. Uh, and history is more than just the dates and major events that, you know, we learn in school. It's about the lives of everyday people, how they traveled, what they wore, what they ate, the work they did. And so my goal was to weave those details plus some history into this page-turning, I hope, uh, <laughs> fictional story. And you don't have to be a Texan to enjoy it. Uh, in fact, I'm guessing that a lot of your listeners have stories of, of their ancestors that are pretty parallel to the stories that uh, we Texans tell about, you know, our pioneer ancestors. And I, I, I was interested to find, I did a little research, uh, on Flint, and I saw that... Uh, Initially, uh, Flint Industries, uh, agriculture, uh, lumber, and you had early on, really early on, 
a major wagon and, and carriage making factory. And what's interesting, uh, I could say those exact three things about Texas. Now, the big difference is your wagon making went on to become the automobile industry, and that didn't happen in Texas. Yeah, we slapped right. motors on them, and boy, it took <laughs> off from there. But Flint, boy, but, you're, but you're right, Flint does have a very storied past. Um, you know, not just the, the birth of General Motors, but the birth of the United Auto Workers and a number of other things. And those are all things that, that people from this area look back on and, and do research about and are, are, and, and are very proud of. And it's, um, and, and, and that's fascinating. And I liked what you said, and I've had this conversation with other writers who write history in one form or another, that the way history is taught in schools, places, dates, and names, is so dry and so dull that, you know, it it really comes to life when you tell the stories of these people and not just... You know the the Alamo wasn't, you know, just a date and a and a particular battle. That there were people who, you know, went there to be part of it, and you know all of that. And you were talking about the um, about Sarah becoming a widow during the trek out to Texas in the in the wagon train. How long would that journey have taken? Uh a little more than three months uh, traveling in the springtime. Uh, from where to where? Not, okay, from uh, from Memphis, Tennessee, okay. which is down in the, the southwestern corner, yep. uh, across Arkansas uh, to about midway uh, to the, uh, on the border of what today is Oklahoma, but back then was Indian Territory. Uh, the U.S. government had moved the Indians starting in the 1930s from the southeastern United States into Oklahoma, into actually uh, an absolutely beautiful part of Oklahoma, uh, the Oklahoma Ozarks. And the wagon train had to come uh, through the Oklahoma Ozark Mountains and then uh, diagonally across uh, uh, the southern part of eastern Oklahoma to the Red River. And so that would have taken about three months, um, which is a, a pretty good chunk of time to be untethered. You know, it just is. floating from place to place. And and I imagine how much of the story that you tell is about the journey and, and how much of it is about after they get there and and, uh, and what happens next. Uh, I, you know, I haven't actually done the page count, but I would guess somewhere between maybe 25, 28, just under 30% uh, would be the, the wagon train trip. And, uh, uh, and then the rest takes place uh, uh, in Dallas with Sarah trying to uh, overcome all the challenges and, uh, and develop her store and build the friendship, some of which are carried over from the wagon train trip, uh, and then then all of the things that happened uh, leading up to the Civil War. And there was so much going on in Dallas, uh, things that 
again, I've lived here all, you know, all this time since 81 and had never heard about. Uh, in 1860, 60, uh, Dallas, and most of Dallas at that point was on the square, uh, still, still dirt trails and, and, you know, no real roads, but, uh, uh, most of downtown was, was just right there. And Dallas actually burned to the ground. The square burned to the ground. Uh, and uh, I'd never heard that. It's called the Great Conflagration. And, uh, of course, Sarah's business and, and her home and uh, homes of friends and all the other businesses that were destroyed and had to be built again. How A lot, a lot happening. Yeah, and, and and it was, in fact, Dallas even that far back. It was. Uh, it was founded as Dallas, named Dallas, and there's some controversy regarding uh, for whom it was named. Uh, it was uh, uh, founded by a fellow named John Neely Bryant. And uh, one of the funny things that I discovered in doing my research is he actually, although I don't think he realized it initially, turned out to be a squatter uh, who had <laughs> found this land several years before. And, of course, Texas uh, was trying to encourage settlement, and so they were giving land grants and encouraging people to come. And they gave some very large land grants. Uh, an early one went to... Uh, uh, a company uh, that was informally known as the Peters Group because it was headed by a fellow named Peters. And uh, uh, Peters was given this land, and unfortunately, John Neely Bryan claimed uh, and platted uh, the town of Dallas within the Peters uh, colony. So he was actually squatting. Uh, and it took a little while before he realized this, and then I think he kind of chose to ignore it. Uh, and what happened is the Peters Group's representative uh, in in uh, uh, the the grant that they had uh, was located a bit north of Dallas, and he was so disliked by the settlers that had come in that finally the settlers uh, revolted against him, marched on his offices, took all of the Peters Group records. And in their words, put them where they'll never be found. <laughs> and finally, the, the state legislature had to get involved uh, for a second time. And they they negotiated with the Peters Group, gave them land out in West Texas, and then allowed uh, John Neely Bryan to patent or register uh, the the uh, uh, the town that he had planted, and about. Ten years later, they discovered that there was uh, uh, still an existing grant that had been given that sort of slashed uh, uh, a line across uh, part of Dallas that belonged to a fellow named Grigsby, who had served in the, the uh, Texas Revolution. And that that uh, mess in terms of ownership squabbles and so on went on for about 20 years before it was finally settled. So uh, the... the, the Settling of Dallas in terms of, of its official uh, uh, planting is what we would say in uh, in those times uh, was a bit rocky. <laughs> and was that part of what made you choose Dallas as a destination point for Sarah? Uh, well, I, I chose Dallas for three reasons. Uh, the first reason 
is that I live here. And uh, the second reason is that it has such a fascinating history, I believe. Uh, so many interesting things have happened here, uh, especially in the early days, uh, although a lot of people would argue we're just as interesting now. Uh, but the, the reason that really uh, cinched it for me was uh, I believe there is just a tremendous interest in Texas and in Dallas specifically around the world. Uh, I traveled as a professional speaker for years and years and years. And I'd get in a taxi or an Uber uh, coming from the airport to the hotel. And, you know, the first question is, where are you from? And when I would say Dallas, oh, my goodness, I, you know, I would be peppered with questions. And people would say, oh, I've always wanted to go to Dallas. And, and I think part of that, uh, for older people anyway, is uh, a legacy of the old uh, television show Dallas. Uh, remember who shot J.R.? And uh, and also the fact that the Dallas Cowboys, especially in the Roger Staubach era, uh, were so popular. You know, we were God's team. <laughs> How is that for arrogance? And and I think people are fascinated still by Dallas. Well, and and I, I was thinking as you were talking about Dallas and when you travel and mention that you're from Dallas. How long it is before people mention the JFK assassination? You know, I think I have only had that mentioned one time. Uh, that, that's the only time I can ever remember, uh, which is, it, it's much more likely to be Dallas the TV show or How About Them Cowboys, uh, you know, or something like that. Uh, and, and maybe that's, uh, you know, maybe that's just something that, that uh, uh, after years of that TV series and football games and so on, it's, high, it's higher on people's minds now. I would hope so. That's not something Dallas, the assassination is not something Dallas is proud of and certainly doesn't want to relive. And uh, It isn't what you want to be remembered for. It's, you know, I would, I would always, I would feel a little funny if I went to an event at Ford Theater. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, other than that, this is like, and how did you like the performance? <laughs> right. Yeah. So how was the play? But um, <laughs> but but getting back to Sarah, um, when when did the fire happen in Dallas? Would that have gone on when Sarah was there? Did she lose her store and have to rebuild like others? She did. She did. It was 1860, and uh, it it happened uh, on a on a Sunday, and uh, it supposedly started in some empty boxes uh, in front of a, a an empty store, and uh, Dallas had no fire wagon or anything at that point, uh, and it was blocks away from the. Uh, uh, the river, the Trinity River, and so uh, the Bucket Brigade was not very successful in trying to put things out, and uh, you have, uh, you know, dried log cabins and close together and uh, the, and grass all around. Uh, the fire just ran rampant and in fairly short order uh, literally burned the square 
uh, to the ground. They were able to save part of the courthouse, uh, which was brick, uh, but uh, it wasn't rebuilt until after the Civil War. And, and about the Civil War, um, was there much impact by the war on Dallas and or its its residents? Um, you know, we think of historically when we talk about the Civil War, we think of most of the activity being east of the Mississippi. And, and that's true. Uh, Dallas uh, was one of the, the states in the Confederacy. Uh, there was quite a bit of, uh, uh, I guess, argument about uh, should, you know, should Texas uh, uh, leave the Union and join the Confederacy. In fact, uh, uh, our governor at that time, who was Sam Houston, uh, traveled through the state uh, on a wagon uh, trying to convince people in, in the little towns and countryside uh, that the state should not join the Union, that the Confederacy was doomed because we didn't have enough people, we didn't have the industrial capability uh, to to produce what we needed to fight a war, and uh, with a, a blockade, a Union blockade in the Gulf, which was probably a certainty, uh, that it would be extremely difficult to get our products, uh, primarily cotton, uh, to market to England, which is where where most of the southern cotton, including Texas cotton, went, uh, went to the mills in England. And uh, he finally, uh, when it came down to uh, uh, the fact that the legislature uh, and then finally the people voted to join the Confederacy, and he was asked to take an oath to the Confederacy, he refused and was uh, removed as governor uh, and, uh, you know, subsequently uh, uh, died. A, a really sad situation because he was a, certainly a, a man of, of his principles. And uh, he, he, for a lot of people, you know, was uh, uh, viewed negatively. Uh, not all, fortunately. But, uh, yeah, it... Uh, so... It, there was a lot of controversy about should we join, shouldn't we join. And the other thing that happened is a lot of plantation owners came from places like Georgia and Louisiana and Tennessee and uh, brought their their slaves and their overseers and their families uh, and came to Texas with the idea that Texas would be the state least affected uh, by the fighting, because we were the farthest west, and that uh, they could uh, continue to uh, to prosper uh, in Texas, and so we got a flood of uh, uh, plantation uh, plantations <laughs> and their owners, uh, as uh, it became fairly apparent that the Civil War was was really going to happen. Uh, one of the sad things that happened is. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that we had a huge uh, group of international uh, uh, immigrants uh, coming in to, to settle in Texas. Uh, Germans were, were at the top of the list. There were tens of thousands of Germans that came to Texas early on and settled down in central Texas. Uh, and there were also a lot of Italians. And the Germans particularly, it, it, they viewed it as not their war. Uh, 
and they did not want to uh, uh, to join the Confederacy as soldiers. And when conscription came along, uh, a lot of them uh, were extremely unhappy. Uh, one group of them tried to flee to Mexico, and unfortunately, there were some conscriptionists, I think they called them. These were men who were bound and determined that everyone should join the, the Confederacy, join the army. Uh, they were, the uh, German men, were caught and hung. Uh, just a really black mark as far <laughs> as uh, I think historians uh, are concerned today. So, you know, Texas has a lot of wonderful things and a lot of great things have happened here, but like any place else, you know, we've made some mistakes too. Well, it's it's but, it's a fascinating subject, and I feel like we're just scratching the surface. The book is called "Gone to Dallas." It's set in uh, eighteen fifty six, and um, it's it's uh, written by um, my guest Lori Moore Moore. And Lori, we're almost out of time, but um, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and the book and and your work, past, present, and future. And and I'll I'll add to this, um, uh, you know, please share your your website. But also, do you have the bug now? Are there more uh, Lori more more books coming out? <laughs> uh, well. This first book, Gone to Dallas, The Storekeeper, 1856 to 1861, is book one in the Texas Brave and Strong series, and I am working on book two, which actually takes place during the Civil War, and it is called Cattle, Cotton, and Conflict, and uh, it will be available, I'm hoping, in 2022. Uh Gone to Dallas is available on Amazon uh, and uh, on Barnes and Noble, uh, a variety of other most book sites out there. Uh, and uh, you can go to Amazon, uh, go to books, and uh, search "Gone to Dallas," and you'll find both the paperback version for seventeen ninety five and the ebook for eight ninety five. Uh, and be sure and scroll down all the way and take a look at the. Uh, uh, the reviews. Uh, my website is lauriemoremore.com. L a u r i e m o o r e m o o r e dot com. Uh, I'm the lady with the silly double name. And uh, <laughs> the podcast is called Texas Brave and Strong, Tom. And uh, it's available on Smashwords and. Uh, uh, Apple and and so on. You can uh, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, just uh, 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 enter a search for Texas Brave and Strong, and I promise you, you'll find some interesting things. Well, Lori, thanks so, for spending this time with uh, me and the listeners, and and uh, sharing some of Texas's uh, history with uh, us this morning and in your book. Well, it was my pleasure, Tom. It was fun to talk to you, and uh, uh, I hope that it's been interesting for your listeners. Well, you take care and keep up the good work. Thanks so much, Tom. Bye now. All right. Bye-bye. That was Lori Moore Moore, author of uh, Gone to Texas. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program.
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Armchair Politics is going to hell. Hell, Michigan, that is, and you are invited. On October 27th, Wednesday before Halloween, Armchair Politics will be broadcasting live from 9 a.m. to noon from the Hell Saloon in Hell, Michigan, near Pinckney. This will be our first in-person meeting of the Tom Sumner Program's weekly roundtable armchair politics since the beginning of the pandemic. Join me and roundtable regulars Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left and longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right, plus more on Wednesday, October 27, 2021, starting at 9 a.m. at the Hell Saloon. Armchair politics is going to hell, and you can too. Objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now.
I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I want to say just a few words about North Carolina, my home state, possibly the finest state in this entire union. We got industry of all kinds, pretty country, raise corn, cotton, tobacco, peaches, peanuts, all like that. Got colleges all over the state, fine quality, pretty girls, and run off the finest white lightning made anywhere. <laughs> hey, I see you all ain't forgot your raising. But it is, it, it's, uh, well, this, uh, this government stuff that you all use up here in New York and all, that'll kill you. It will, you can't tell what's in it. Here last, uh, last New Year's Eve, I was up in New York and uh, I, got, I got betrayed into drinking several, several folks' health. And uh, I was trying to be as, you know, as robust as I could about it. And uh, I kept on drinking their healths, friends, till I'll tell you the truth, my own pretty near become endangered. <laughs> but, well, now that's not true about white lightning. Now, you can tell what's in that because you can see through it. <laughs> and I never shall forget my first swallow of it. I, I took a good one, and I swallowed her down, and she hit bottom. And, and my face turned red, and my eyes rolled back, and I gagged just a little bit. And then by and by, I got over it. And some of the boys says, how are you? And I says, boys, I'm doing fine, gaining ground all the time. And I think I've got her if she don't jump. Yes, sir. I says, says, give me just a minute to rest and I'll try her again. <laughs> there, was, uh, there was one fella that lived there close to me there a while, a fella named Sam Wood. And he did. He made the best they was made anywhere around. But he had bad luck with it. He uh, seemed like every time he'd run off a batch, why, he'd get caught. And he was on the county roads so long and got so old that they finally just put him to a cooking. And he is serving up the boys one night. He is serving up a mess of creasy salad. That's turnip greens. It's, it's not really. I just don't know what else to call them. But he is serving them up, and one of them called him back. Says, Sam, says, come in. Says, there's a lizard in my greens. <laughs> Sam looked back and forth and says, hush. Says, the others will want one tea. <laughs> They might be good, fixed right. <laughs> Sam, he, uh, he used to, he had bad trouble with drinking a whole lot of it too. But uh, he quit about, oh, five, six, seven years ago. And I got to talking about it with him one time. I says, Sam, did you ever have the DTs? He says, boy, I had them when they first come out. <laughs> now, I'd like to report to you here that there is excellent progress going on all over down there, even in, in the most backwoods communities at home, they're getting all kinds of modern conveniences. There was a fella that worked at the same factory that I used to with my daddy there in Mount Airy, and he come in out of the mountains one morning just as mad as he could be. 
and he says, Carl, says the people up there in the mountains getting to act just like the people in town. Says there's a family of them up there close to us that started putting screens on their windows. <laughs> sh shutting the flies out on everybody else. <laughs> and well, then too, I think this is pretty good. Uh, nearly all, nearly all of our local officials can read and write now. They can. And some of them do their own punctuating. They was, they was, they was one in particular that I remember. He was learning pretty good. And he is down at the barber shop reading the paper and showing off. And, well, he is, he is reading along and he says, uh, says, I see him while so-and-so paid the spring sacrifice. And the barber says, yeah, I heard where he is killed. Says, don't say he is killed. Says he paid the spring sacrifice. It's not very funny. I just thought I'd tell you. <laughs> and we are, we are thrifty. I'm proud of that. I had an uncle one time. He said he bought him a new pair of shoes off a fella. Said he paid $3 and a quarter for them. Pretty brown shoes. And said he put them on and he was walking on uptown. And said he was walking along and said his left shoe commenced to hurt him a little. And he was limping just a little bit and said he was walking on and he passed one of his friends. Says, what are you limping for? He says, I bought these shoes and this left one's hurting me just a little. He says, why don't you cut them? He says, I ain't gonna cut these shoes. Says, I paid three dollars and a quarter for them. He kept on walking, there's a hurting worse and he got studying about that thing. And he got studying, maybe that fella had something about cutting that shoe. He says, I took my knife and I cut a little hole just about that size right where the sore was. And he says, yeah, you know, I wouldn't took three dollars and a quarter for that hole. <laughs> well, <laughs> he told me that and I had to get up off the porch. <laughs> but now, them of you that has to live here in Washington, there's a whole lot to be admired about, about Washington too cherry trees, monuments, and everything like that. The main thing, though, that I admire about Washington are the pretty girls, and I'm bound to say that. They are as pretty and well-built as any I ever seen tried to fill a balloon dress. <laughs> and I love to look at them. My wife told me a long time ago, she says, you can look at the pretty girls, but don't you never touch them. And friends, I've tried to live by that. Of course, that throws me to do an extra lot of looking just to make up for that one handicap. <laughs> well, I reckon we might as well go right ahead and get right on into the service as the My prize-winning essay, The Discovery of America by Andy Griffith. <laughs> A long time ago, over in the old country, over there, over there in Italy, they, they lived this sailor, and his name was Christopher Columbus, and he was a navigator. Now, you know what a navigator is. That's the fellow that tells you where to go. <laughs> he, he believed that the world was round, and he had this tattoo on his arm to prove it. And it was an anchor, and on the top it said, Mother, 
and on the bottom it said, the world is round. <laughs> and, and everybody thought he was a nut. <laughs> they used to sit around in front of the barber shop and say, here comes old crazy Chrissy. He says, let's get him to tell us how the world's round. Say, hell, great, crazy Chrissy, how's the old round world treating you? And then they'd giggle, see. And he'd just show him his tattoo to shut him up. Well, it happened he was planning this trip around the world anyhow, because he never had been to camp or anything. <laughs> and he, he, uh, he, he went over to see the king and queen of Spain to get the money to finance the trip. And their names was Ferdinand and Isabella. Their mamas named them that because they never did like them much anyway. <laughs> and, and Isabella, she thought Columbus was crazy too, but she always did like sailors. And so, well, when, when he got done telling about how the world was round, she says, Bella, Bella. <laughs> that means nice, nice. And she says, Ferdinand, what you think of it? And Ferdinand, he was looking up the ceiling trying to act like he wasn't listening. She says, Ferdinand, I say, what you think of it? He kept looking up the ceiling. She says, Ferd, says, what you think of it? He says, I think there's a lot of flies in the castle today. <laughs> somebody, left, somebody must have left one of the windows open in the turret. <laughs> and, so, and so she says, don't pay no attention to him, Columbus. says, let's mean you go in the counting room. And they went in there and she says, she says, I'll give you the money if you'll let me see your tattoo. <laughs> and so, and so he, and so he showed it to her, see, and she started to touch it. And he says, don't touch it where it says mother. <laughs> and so, and so she give him the money. She gave him the money and he bought the ships and sailed across the Atlantic and discovered America, Columbus did. Which only goes to prove if you got a dream in your heart and a tattoo on your arm, someday they may name a city in Ohio after you. I appreciate it. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Isolated, I think.
magic don't touch that dial you're listening to tom sumner